Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of AdMail. This is Adam Bergman, founder and CEO of IRA Financial. I'm here to help you find the answers to the most frequently asked questions from my clients about self-directed retirement accounts. If you want to learn more, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. Just search IRA Financial. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of AdMail. I'm Adam Bergman, tax attorney and founder of IRA Financial. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about over-contributing to a traditional IRA. We're also going to be talking about beneficiary paperwork and your solo 401k. And the third question is probably one of my favorites about how you can potentially take a rental property you own personally and move it into an IRA. So before I jump into this, just want to thank everyone for uh, watching. If you're doing it on YouTube, if you are listening um, wherever you listen to your podcast, thank you as well. Appreciate your support. Really enjoyed today's podcast. I uh, think you guys are going to enjoy it as well. So uh, buckle up and let's get started. First question from Kenny T of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And Kenny wants to know, what happens if I over-contribute to a traditional IRA in a given year? So good question, Kenny. What's the IRA contribution limits? Well, for 2021 and 2022, $6,000 if you're under 50, $7,000 if you're over 50 years old. So what happens? Generally, if you make an excess contribution, because that's what an over-contribution is called, and you don't withdraw it by the due date, the time you file your return, you're subject to a 6% excise tax. And you must pay the 6% tax each year on the excess amounts. Okay, so you got to get that money out. Basically, you pay 6% on the over contribution or the excess amount, and then you pull it out. And that amount, if you if it has generated any income, would be subject to tax. Okay, uh, whatever is not over contributed, obviously, will remain in your IRA. And the tax cannot be more than the 6% of the combined value of all your IRAs at the end of your tax year. Okay, you will not pay the 6% tax if you withdraw it by the due date. Okay, so if you screw up and you contributed more than you were able to, you can pull it out before you filed a return and it doesn't count as an excess contribution. Okay, what happens if the account loses money, right? You put in 10,000 bucks instead of six, screw up, and now it's worth five because you bought a bad performance stock. Well, you lost the money, but you don't have to pull it out anymore because you only have 5,000 bucks. So you technically will pull out, you would, it would just deem a $5,000 contribution You'd basically just lose whatever's left. Okay. So um, just be super careful. You don't get a deduction for any excess contributions. Um, and obviously the loss is just a loss, right? You, you don't get to account for this. Um, what happens if the income or interest on any of the excess contribution, you have to treat it as income. Okay, so you pull it, pay the 6%, whatever you pull out, you put on your tax return as income. Okay, so don't over contribute. It doesn't have often, I've done a Forbes article um, back in the day, wow, about Roth uh, IRA excess contributions. There's a strategy some people do, it's super aggressive, where you can just pay the 6% each year. And because it's a Roth, you actually can keep it in the Roth. So if you're able to get 10, 15, 20% returns, some people I know have paid 6% on the excess contribution. And since it's Roth, you don't have to pull it out. But, you know, there's some issues. The IRS have, has kind of looked at this and um, they haven't kind of discussed whether there would be any type of like step transaction or any type of like abusive tax 
um, you know, investigation on it, but it's something that they are going to charge you the six percent. The issue is, can they do more and try to force you to, you know, liquidate the Roth or try to, you know, impose any other penalties on you for, you know, abusive technique? So that's not um, set in terms of guidance, but just, you know, be careful of doing that with Roth. Question two. So this is a great question from Richard K of Rochester, New York. I actually spoke to Richard about this. Uh, I don't know, about a, a few weeks ago, actually. So I wanted to include this. Um, I have a solo 401k plan with IRA Financial. Should I hold a beneficiary paperwork or do you? Well, solo 401k, IRA Financial Group sets it up. You can get an account at IRA Financial Trust. We'll uh, open a bank account for you, Capital One. So you can use that to facilitate investments. Um, we provide you an IRS opinion letter. We'll assist you in, in setting up the plan, keeping it up to date. We'll provide you rollover forms, helping you roll the funds over from a former uh, retirement plan or an IRA. We'll even help you do the contributions. Of course, we'll help you do the 5,500 easy form if you have more than $250,000 in your plan as of 1231. But we also provide you a beneficiary form, which is a form that you will designate, God forbid, on your death, who gets your 401k funds. Is it a spouse? Is it a non-spouse? If it is a non-spouse as your primary and you're married, generally in some community property states, you're going to have to have the cons this consent of the spouse before giving the money to a non-spouse. Okay, just something to be aware of. Most people obviously leave it to a spouse. If you're not married, then you can leave it to you know children or friends or charities, whoever you want. You can even leave it to a trust. Now, you should keep a, a copy of the beneficiary form close to your will, somewhere safe. We certainly can keep a copy for you, uh, but it's suggested that you keep it and whether it's your state trust attorney should have a copy too. You should also, I think this is a good idea. I've done it. My, my parents have done it. Keep kind of a instruction or map blueprint of what to do. God forbid you pass. So here's my will. These are the assets I have. Break it down for your heirs, your spouse, your children. Whoever is going to benefit, let them know exactly where your bank accounts are, where your assets are, where your retirement plans are, and then obviously key in where the beneficiary forms are. Just the, the more support evidence you have for your loved ones in, in, in a you know, time of grief will be helpful. People aren't thinking clearly and you know, kind of disheveled. So it takes time after um, a grieving period to obviously address the assets but you want to make it easy on your heirs a lot of uh, people don't have you know financial literacy or just don't have the expertise or even the patience to want to deal with this stuff so map it out make it easy for them and i would strongly suggest keeping a copy of the beneficiary form with the plan documents and then a um, ledger of kind of where your bank accounts are um and just letting people know especially if you have, you know, executor or trustee of your, of your will, um, where they can find all the assets and, and kind of deal with probate or, or, or however you're dealing with your estate, but make it easier. And the beneficiary form is just one of the elements that will help your loved ones kind of deal with your assets and make sure they know where all your assets are. So uh, Richard, great question. Definitely keep a copy. We can, we can keep a copy as well, but you definitely want one. Third question. This is a, a great one. I've gotten this question <laughs> hundreds of times over the years, and I wish I had a good answer, but you'll see there's just not really a great one. 
I own a rental home personally, but really want to get into an IRA because it throws off so much cash each month. Is there any way to accomplish this legally? And this is from YouTube anonymously. They're like, please, Adam, do not use my name. Um, so what's the deal, right? This person owns rental real estate. They have good cash flow. They pay tax on it, right? It's owned personally. And now they want to get into an IRA so they can defer the tax. Can you do it? On its face, clearly no, right? You can't take an asset that's owned personally tainted and then move it to an IRA. If that was the case, we all would do it, right? Every asset we own personally, we would somehow transfer it to an IRA and then have it not be subject to you know, income tax, especially if you have a Roth IRA, it's even more tax advantageous because if you're over 59 and a half and the Roth's been open at least five years, it's all tax free. So obviously a lot of people keep a lot of thought over the years. The answer is just can't do it. Now people say, well, I got one, Adam. How about this? I sell the asset to my buddy. I said, okay, it's non-disqualified or I sell it to my brother or my sister and then I buy it back six weeks later or six months later or two years later. So, well, guess what? The IRS has thought about this. There's a bunch of court cases on this called step transaction doctrine or economic substance. The IRS feels that one of those steps is a sham, i.e. the sale to the straw man. They'll ignore it and collapse it and just treat it as a sale between your retirement account and you. So if this is prearranged, like you basically send an email to your buddy, say, hey, Jen, hey, Bill, I'm going to sell it to you for 100K. And then in eight months, you're going to sell it back to me for $100,000. Aren't we smart? Well, no, you're not smart because if the IRS catches you, you're going to be in trouble. There's going to be steep penalties, potentially maybe even criminal. Um, I doubt they would go that far, but it's certainly abusive and evasive. Um, but there's something again called economic substance. You got to be careful. Now, what happens if you say, Adam, listen, it's not prearranged. I want to sell this thing. My buddy likes it. But what happens in two years or in eight months or 10 years, he says, you know what? I don't want this property anymore. And he offers to sell it back. I said, well, if it's a real legit transaction and it's not prearranged, then the substance is there, right? You don't have to worry about lack of economic substance if it's real. The facts will dictate it. There can't be any prearranged deals, handshake deals, emails, letters. It's got to be legit. Both steps in the transaction have to be legit and real and have substance. So it could happen, right? You sell it to, to your brother for 100K, and in two years, he goes back to you and says, okay, Joe, I'm going to put it on the market. I want 120K. If I don't get it, will you buy it back for 120? You may say, okay, I'll do it for you. That could be legitimate. A couple things. Definitely, you don't have anything prearranged. Um, you also want to be able to show clearly the, the sale and the repurchases for different values. The longer you wait, the better. Obviously, if you do it a day later, it's not going to pass the sniff test. And you know, you, you want to try to show that you're really trying to sell it. So put it on the market, right? Say, hey, I want to sell this asset for X. Now, if the person that you bought it from comes back and says, I'll buy it for X, you know, maybe you have a good case, but you don't want to make it one of these secret handshake deals that no one knows about. It's not publicly uh, made available to the, to the general public. And now you're just kind of buying that asset back in your IRA. It doesn't look good, right? Like I said, if it doesn't smell right, 
the IRS uh, will, will smell it out. So just be super careful about these deals. Uh, I rarely see anything like this happen where it has substance. Uh, it could, right? You can sell it to your friend and in two years or three years, he may say, you know what? I've tried to sell this thing. I put it on the market. Will you take it off my hands for why? And, and you may say, yeah, yeah, it's a good deal. I'll do it. Or I want that asset back or um, whatever the case may be. If it's has substance and it has substance, but just be super careful about these pre-arranged deals where there's straw men involved and there's lack of substance. Cause um, if the IRS does smell it out, it's not going to be a, a really good thing for you. So there you go. Buyer beware or seller beware. Um, the case of a step transaction type arrangement. So there you go. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Uh, I know I did. Uh, appreciate Barry, producer, for putting this together. Again, if you have questions, you can send them into info at IRA Financial or just hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you, LinkedIn, social media, and just say ad mail or ask Adam and, and the questions will find me, I promise you. And uh, I will do my best to... Um, address them on a future podcast. So thanks again uh, for spending some time with me today. Great day and I'll uh, check everyone out again next week. Take care.